listening to the Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. I'm a policy analyst here at the Institute for Energy Research. Joining me today to discuss the recent grand jury investigation of the natural gas industry in Pennsylvania is Catherine Kleber. Catherine has deep roots in Pennsylvania. She graduated with a degree in environmental science from Bucknell University. She completed her MBA at Carnegie Mellon, and she lived and worked for an international environmental consulting firm headquartered in Philadelphia before relocating back to Pittsburgh. There, she managed a diverse set of policy and advocacy issues for the CEO-led Allegheny Conference and the statewide Pennsylvania Economy League before starting the Marcellus Shale Coalition early in the development of shale in Pennsylvania. She now leads her own consulting firm, the Kleber Group, which assists businesses in capitalizing on opportunities brought about by natural gas and other assets in the region. Katie, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Oh, thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. This report that was released, uh, I believe, midway in June, based on most of the conversations and what I've read about the report, it's clear that the goal was to sort of paint Pennsylvania's oil and gas industry as operating with little or no almost uh, regulatory oversight. Just to start, can you briefly describe the regulatory environment there in Pennsylvania and explain the industry's environmental track record in the state? Sure. Um, you know, that's uh, unfortunately not a really brief answer because, you know, for more than 10 years now, um, the industry has been, you know, complying and moder- complying with and modernizing, uh, you know, rules that were written for an entirely uh, different kind of technology than what's being used today. But, um, you know, I, I, I think my perspective, um, you know, going back more than 10 years, um, is that we started with a lot of rules and we've added a lot since then. Um, you know, one illustration of that, um, one of my member companies when I was leading the Marcella Shale Coalition was trying to get this very point across to a group of stakeholders. And they took their conference room, very large conference room um, in, their, uh, in their headquarters, and they printed out every single air quality regulation, not, air, not water, not waste, just air quality um, that applied to their operations. And it was quite an impressive visual to see that the entire conference room table was covered with sometimes, you know, uh, inch or more thick, um, you know, documents that, uh, that included the rules that uh, the industry is uh, subject to. So that's just a, you know, a small snapshot. Be glad to go into sure. some more detail on these rules as we go along. Um, yeah, and you mentioned in 2010 you founded the Marcellus Coalition, uh, which is a trade association, and you served as a CEO uh, up until about 2013. The main complaint about this report is that it overlooks a lot of the changes in regulations and in the law uh, that took place there in Pennsylvania, a lot of which took place during your tenure there from 2010 to 2013. Could you walk us through those changes and explain why it's relevant that they were absent from this report from the attorney general. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly um, disturbing that they were absent from this report because, you know, a lot of that information is still, you know, very, very accessible. You know, in, uh, in preparing for our talk today, I went back and checked the very first press release after the announcement of my hire was released in January of 2010. And that very first press release we sent out after the hire was um, our support of additional DEP staff, um, clear workable regulations. It talked about issues like potential gas migration, how permit applications and regulatory inspections were tracked. That was January 2010. 
Um, just as an illustration, you know, a week later, we addressed some of the false narrative about water management, and that ended up leading um, under the Corbett administration to a very proactive stance that um, the board of directors of the MSC took, and I remember distinctly um, that board meeting up in Williamsport, PA, where um, uh, we made the commitment um, with uh, Secretary uh, Mike Cranser, who you know has uh, has been uh, equally to me, I think, um, concerned with how the Attorney General's report has has treated those facts from you know ten. 10 years ago, but we halted any discharge of water to uh, Pennsylvania's waterways. Um, it was a really pivotal action, um, and the kind of action that would be central to any grand jury review that was really trying to get at the history and how the agency and the industry, you know, went about um, doing those regulations. So, I mean, you know, there's uh, it would take us, you know, all day to go through the many rules and laws uh, that were modernized in those early years. And then, of course, Act 13, which was a huge legislative package that addressed, you know, a, a whole bunch of additional outstanding issues at once. Um, you know, when before I was uh, uh, at the MSC, before we had a regulatory affairs manager, given that that was in my background, I was personally writing several comment letters a week with the, you know, input and and um, engagement of our member companies. Um, that's how many rules were coming at us um, from the agency. We created about a dozen committees just to address these issues proactively, everything from transportation safety to managing threatened and endangered species identification to avoid disturbing those areas. Um, there were new air quality permit rules. There were new waste handling rules. I mean, the list goes goes on and on. So, you know, very important as people of Pennsylvania understand, this wasn't some, you know, let's just uh, do some fly-by-night, get-up-and-running activity. In fact, it was the opposite. It was incredibly important to the uh, trade association and to our regulators that, you know, we, we would get this right. Just this past week, I saw that the Attorney General, Josh Shapiro there, when asked about what the next steps were from the report, he was still pointing to and recommending the uh, the eight recommendations that came out of the report. And, uh, you know, as we talked about a little bit, that many of those things are regulatory and legal changes that are already on the books, and uh, which to me seems to suggest, uh, and I've, I've seen other people sort of speculate, you know, it's either... Maybe he's not aware of the the rules or the regulations that already exist, or you know, un unfortunately, maybe he's trying to mislead people. I'm not going to ask you to speculate about that, but you know, just from the industry's pr perspective, how difficult is it to operate in a legal and regulatory environment when, at the very least, you could say that there, there seems to be some confusion about by the people who are supposed to be administering these laws, um, what actually exists and. Uh, uh, the extent to which uh, the industry is is held responsible in the state. Well, you know, you, you brought up there um, early in your uh, question about the, um, uh, you know, what documents are there that maybe weren't reviewed. Uh, I think that is particularly notable. And uh, one that, you know, I pulled back up again that's on the website of the organization Stronger. It's called the State Review of Oil and Natural Gas Environmental Regulations. And these are um, you know, about as unbiased a, a group of reviewers you can have, and, and their goal you know, is to, to tell states, you know, to do benchmarking, essentially, to tell states where they're doing well um, and, and to suggest to them areas for improvement. And, 
you know, it was a really big deal back in September of 2010 when the Stronger Report came out on Pennsylvania. And, you know, I want to read you kind of the top line takeaway um, where uh, the Pennsylvania um, program was applauded. It, 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 they, it read the Pennsylvania Hydraulic Fracturing Regulatory Program was singled out for its operations in the areas of comprehensive water planning, baseline water sampling and water studies, prevention preparedness and contingency planning, waste, waste identification, tracking and reporting, and increasing staffing levels. So if the grand jury or the witnesses or the attorney general had read that report, both with the positive aspects that I just read, but also there were areas for recommendation for additional regulations that were in turn in time, you know, addressed. Um, that is not reflected at all in the, the conclusions of the grand jury report. Um, you know, and I think the, the challenge is these regulatory issues are, are tedious. They're technical. Um, frankly, they're, they're pretty boring <laughs> to most people who aren't involved with them every day. Um, and it's a heavily regulated industry. So, the facts about how it's regulated and how those regulations are enforced, it's not really very interesting to people who sell the news. And clearly, um, you know, the people who blessed or wrote uh, that attorney general's report were not there to see just how much work was going on. Um, you know, there's a, a number of those other uh, recommendations that you referred to. I, I think the one that probably, well, there's a lot, but one that was really disturbing was this transparency um, about, you know, chemical disclosure. That has been around, that complaint for so long. I think people must just Google it on the internet and think that something hasn't been resolved. We did a board resolution to disclose hydraulic fracturing chemicals in March of 2010. That's more than 10 years ago, where every single board member, which was well over 95% of the natural gas coming out of Pennsylvania, um, you know, that, that those companies represented, had it, it unanimously agreed to do that, that disclosure. So if the grand jurists or Josh or, you know, any of the, the folks um, who, who, witness, who were witnesses had accessed the Frac Focus website, they could not honestly say that drillers should be more transparent. I mean, hell, drillers are more transparent than the people who apply my lawn chemicals. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, they don't, they don't work for me anymore because they wouldn't give me the materials they were putting on, so I now don't use lawn chemicals. I mean, my gosh, there's more information in frac focus for one well than you could find for entire other industries, um, you know, that are, that are much less regulated. So, you know, I, I think that that whole um, uh, disclosure, transparency with chemicals, is just a really good illustration of how misinformed um, that report, uh, you know, was. Lots of other things, though. The revolving door, I mean, why does he not also look at the revolving door from the agencies to environmental interest groups? I mean, there's, you know, some very uh, stark, uh, you know, examples of that. So why is it okay to go to an environmental interest group but not to go, you know, into the industry when you have the technical knowledge um, that the industry demands. We addressed setbacks a long time ago. One very interesting issue where it's talking about sources of error, pollution being added up, you know, so you're, um, so you're assessing the entire impact. That is a very complex area, you know, governed by many U.S. EPA um, memos with, in addition to state um, implementation rules. But the bottom line is, that no air quality monitoring that's been conducted by objective third parties 
in the Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area where drilling has occurred has exceed any <laughs> air quality standard. Any. That, that is an amazing body of research. And, you know, I authored, um, you know, a, a, a trade journal piece on that, as well as um, the law firm of Babs Cowan has done some very important work in this area. And opponents, you know, would obviously say more testing needs, needs to be done. But how can you argue with the fact, if you're ever going to prove the negative, how can you argue with the fact that not a single air quality test has shown um, any exceedances of any um, standards within, you know, the, the shale footprint. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it, it, it is just definitive. So, so lot, lots to, to talk about there. So, so let me know if there's, you know, any other areas you think your, uh, your listeners would like to, to delve into. Yeah, I'm just thinking that there's probably somebody listening to this who has never come across these reports or the only news that they hear about the industry seems to be negative And, their personal perception of things might be um, kind of skeptical of the industry operating in the state. What are some resources that somebody who's interested in hearing the industry's perspective a little bit more, where can they go um, maybe to hear this other side of the story? Well, isn't that, isn't that the challenge, right? I mean, people are going to go to what's easiest to access. But let, before we kind of get into that, let, let's pick it up one level or a couple levels. You know, I, I think what has happened with this industry um, and probably others is that that people are looking at it from their own knowledge of the industry. So, for example, you know, if, if, if you um, were a high school math teacher and I, having taken math, said, you know what, I'm going to come in tomorrow and teach that high school calculus class. I think you'd be a little bit skeptical Sure. That I would know how to do the job that you have been educated in school, probably got some advanced uh, degree and or continuing education, and years of experience in that classroom as to how to do that job. I can't just walk in and do your job. I think similarly, when people think about this industry, I think they think that they know how it works. Okay, I had I. You know, had an undergraduate degree, you know, environmental science, spent 10 years uh, in the environmental compliance field, and then another 10 uh, in the oil and gas industry, more than 10 now. And I am humbled by how much I don't know about this industry. So I think it's important for reasonable people, you know, to recognize that this industry is hugely specialized. Tens of thousands of people get advanced degrees in geology and geotechnical specialties and many types of engineering, other science-based fields. Then they spend decades of their career in the industry. And it's a lot to expect a lay person to understand what the people in the industry, you know, have been through. So, you know, I think the other thing is, um, you know, these are real people working in this industry. They're good people. They're people who have families, who have children they care about raising and that, um, you know, they're, they're not sitting around plotting how to ruin the environment or do their jobs poorly. Um, you know, from another angle, you also have the, the regulators. These regulators that um, Attorney General Shapiro's report targeted, these are, again, people who have devoted their lives to public service and to enforcing rules and regulations. That's what they get up every day and do. Um, they're not motivated to somehow let any industry off the hook. Um, and the, you know, the, the concern that 
perhaps these folks are, you know, looking to get a job in the industry. Well, maybe they are, but, you know, I've seen firsthand the industry is not interested in hiring somebody who's done a horrible job at their job at the agency. Um, They want to hire the people who have found, you know, uh, the right way to do this work, Um, because if they're bringing them in-house, that's the kind of person they want to bring in-house. So, you know, I I think there, there is a lot to learn, but I also, you know, instead of saying go to this website or that website, you know, I think we're at a time of introspection for this industry and for a lot of our lives. And, you know, taking a step back and, and, you know, realizing how important oil and gas is to, you know, to our daily, uh, you know, our daily lives. I mean, you know, your, your listeners, you know, understand the, the heating homes affordably and literally keeping people from freezing to death. You know, I always would use the example when we did a whole lot of outreach early in the Marcellus development, you know, when people cook with natural gas, you don't worry about the residue that like lands on your stove from that. It's clean burning, Um, making electricity without the byproducts of ash or waste. You know, certainly post COVID, we think a lot about the products that save lives in hospitals and other settings. And, you know, I think perhaps the most untold story about, you know, the, the end use of natural or the end benefit of natural gas relates to national security and our ability to keep more of our troops, you know, literally our sons and daughters out of harm's way around the world. I mean, that's not some theoretical future scenario. Those are accruing right now. And, you know, most Americans don't even realize that they're, you know, kind of getting down into the weeds on some report about how things happened 10 years ago that didn't even happen that way 10 years ago. But, you know, really thinking about, you know, whether you're from the era of the gasoline shortages of the 70s or the Iraq war or Russia invading Crimea, those were all related to energy. And we have leverage now because of shale to stay out of those horrible situations because, you know, because uh, we, we should be developing this resource and we should be doing it, you know, proudly. And that's what is so disheartening about, you know, Josh Shapiro's report. It just, it smacks of uh, trying to take things down that have done wonderful things for his constituents. And I just hope his constituents, you know, see that at the end of the day. So many things there that uh, are great points. I don't actually know where to start. Uh, you, you know what? What, what <laughs> other things? No, a little too long an answer to your last question. Well, one of the things that you brought up that I, I think probably goes into the humility and trying to take a step back and appreciate, you know, that we can't, when we are looking to criticize an industry or something, we don't know everything about it. For people who aren't from Pennsylvania and don't have a sense of the industry working in the community and its impact on the economy and jobs and those sort of things, I guess, could, could you just give a, a snapshot and overview of what that's been like in Pennsylvania? Because Oftentimes with environmental discussions, that's something that's overlooked, and it's obviously an important element to the discussion. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it was very interesting. We used to do a, um, an economic impact report every year for probably, I don't know, four or five years running. And um, invariably, the, the numbers that our models would show in terms of job creation and economic impact and tax revenue – were exceeded the next year. So, so we put out a report 
um, you know, the anti-environmental people would complain that it was overblown, and then the objective data would come out from Department of Labor and Industry and show that our, even our numbers were, were low. Um, you know, obviously, there's been a, a couple um, cycles since then, and I, I think the, the, the real challenge um, – I know, it, you know, even in our neighborhood outside of Pittsburgh, you know, as you you see jobs getting um, lost and then rehired and then lost again, and, and we, you know, unfortunately are in a in a downturn right now. But even that downturn is still, um, you know, there are still hundreds of millions of dollars per company being invested in the region. I mean, just even CNX and EQT this last. Uh, you know, quarterly reports for the last couple of days have talked about, you know, yes, they're scaling back maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty million dollars in their drilling plan, but you know, they're still at three hundred or so. You know, I mean that's three hundred million. I mean that's the order of magnitude we're talking about. So those aren't, you know, small companies um, that, you know, require uh, you know, government assistance or those aren't, you know, long future potential. These are like companies right now who are investing, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars per year. Um, so, you know, very important. Um, and even some of the supply chain impacts, um, you know, are, uh, are probably not recognized by, um, you know, by communities, for example, you know, the benefits of the severance tax and that that is taking uh, budget pressure off for the new fire truck or for a training program that's being funded by that severance tax at the, you know, at the prioritization uh, of the municipality. I mean, those things are, you know, are huge. And, you know, in, in rural areas, um, you know, there were some pretty touching stories during a lot of the uh, leasing when, um, you know, farmers that were hoping to keep those, uh, um, those dairy farms and the family um, during, you know, some, some cyclical times in that industry, um, you know, were able to keep it because of those um, those revenues. So, you know, the, the, the frustration for landowners now, I think, has been that, you know, uh, gas prices have been so low for so long, um, and they can see that monthly in their royalty checks. Uh, but that's all the more reason, um, you know, for a, kind of a unified front to, to support this industry. Um, and But the industry needs to lead in that. Um, you know, you, we were talking about the um, – about the uh, DAG's report, you know, is the topic of this conversation. Um, you know, I, I think that the challenge is, yes, there have been accidents. There have been problems with the industry. Um, spills are unacceptable. You know, uh, uh, miscasing a well is not acceptable. And, you know, the industry has paid dearly for that in terms of fines, in terms of, um, you know, re-engineering, lot, certainly lost, uh, lost capital. Um, but th those are the exceptions, um, not the rules. And, and those accidents or missteps, you know, shouldn't be some cause celeb for the, you know, for uh, for some groups who, you know, have full time jobs fighting this industry. Um, that should be a uh, a disappointment uh, for all, but certainly not um, something that you know takes over kind of the entire conversation. Yeah, looking ahead, this report is a little concerning because I know. Obviously, people are very optimistic about future opportunities for growth with the industry in Pennsylvania. Within the past year, specifically, there's been a lot of talk about opportunities for downstream growth. Does this report temper any of the optimism surrounding that? And if it does, what's the path forward for the industry and um, policymakers going forward in the state? 
Well, it's not good to have a uh, report put out like this. I mean, I think it just adds, it brings back a lot of issues that a lot of hardworking people, you know, have worked to put to bed. Um, so it's not good. But but I actually think that it'll just be, you know, one more, you know, one more thing in the rearview mirror at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, because those issues are not the, the real ones. Those are the resolved ones um, that that, that uh, report pointed out. Um, you know, I think that the real issues going forward are, are much more kind of geopolitical. You know, how do we leverage through, um, you know, a combination of LNG exports, but also even more importantly, you know, getting the pipelines in place that we can move this resource around our own backyards, um, literally and figuratively, so we can get the kind of projects like Shell Polymer's amazing plant, you know, within a stone's throw of uh, where I grew up um, in Beaver County in Western PA. I mean, that is a, you know, six plus billion dollar investment on a uh, on a, a, a brownfield, um, just to put it nicely, a site, um, you know, uh, taking advantages of all the wonderful infrastructure and uh, river, you know, access and rail access and all the things, you know, that allowed Western PA to be, you know, to have a, a place on the global map. Um, we do need more of that, but um, you know, my concern is if we're still regurgitating stuff from 10 years ago up here, you know, from the drilling, um, you know, how much more of this are we going to put up with with the midstream and the downstream? Um, and you know, you say the industry. Well, I mean, it, the industry is not a monolith. It's not some you know homogeneous um, you know group of companies. It's you know, it's huge. There's supply chain. Individuals, I think not everyone is focusing as much on maybe the education today as they they were in the early days of at least you know development in the northeastern U.S. So you know it it, it it's got to be all in uh, not just the industry but all of those who recognize that they're benefiting economically and um, uh, you know in, in kind of geopolitically uh, from from this development. So still a lot of work to do, but. Um, uh, you know, I feel in a way we're somewhat in the balance. Um, it was good to see uh, candidate Biden pull back a bit on his claims um, to ban fracking. I would uh, love to see how he would run the country sure. um, if, if we were not allowed to, you know, to generate our own energy. Uh, it would be, that would be quite a sight to see. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's not just business as usual. I think we have to do some breakout, uh, you know, strategies to um, to get over this acceptance, whether it be the media covering this report as if it was, you know, a, a, a legitimate look at the history and the, the current needs for the industry, which it, it certainly wasn't. And, and I think that some of the groups who have been incredibly active um, in uh, spurring these, these uh, kind of um, mis, this kind of misinformation, uh, to put it nicely, um, I think they have to look at themselves in the mirror, too, as well as their funders. You know, it's a uh, um, it's it's pretty unacceptable that some of these um, charitable foundations who have economic development, you know, as part of their mission, and yet they are throwing one one foundation in particular over fifty million dollars just in southwestern Pennsylvania over the last you know not even ten years to anti 
natural gas development groups. That is a huge number from just one local foundation. That's not all of them, and that's not the national groups. And, you know, you, you, you have to look at where the money's flowing and that these environmental groups, it is a full-time good job that pays well um, if you can keep this pot stirred. And, you know, I, I think it's time to unveil some of that uh, more openly. And, you know, and it, that's a tough thing for publicly traded uh, companies to often get involved with. But, you know, it, it, it's time to, to point out where those dollars are flowing and why so many people um, are able to spend their days, um, you know, uh, making, uh, making this industry look nothing like it is in reality. It's certainly interesting, especially given the accusations that those organizations like to throw out in terms of funding and money and things. Uh, we have a project here at IER, actually, that, that does look at where sort of environmental spending comes from and the foundations. Uh, the amount of money that goes into all that, like you said, is is pretty incredible. It's right. a story and, that and doesn't get told. Right, right. And there's no, um, there's no pushback on that. I mean, I... I I recall at, um, this was early in the first year of the Corbett administration, and we were having our, our Shell Insight Conference in Philadelphia, and there was flooding in North Central uh, PA. And, um, you know, so that was really important um, as part of, uh, while we were in this conference, to make sure that all the operators who were operating up in North Central PA, you know, were able to be um, helpful to the DOT and, you know, other relief efforts, um, which was really great to be a part of. But during all this, as, you know, as, as companies are donating labor to rebuild wastewater treatment plants and to lay down their operations and their, you know, trucking until, you know, emergency crews could get through. Through, I mean, all those logistics. In the middle of this, this group, Penn Environment, puts out a rig that is flooded, a picture of a rig that is flooded. And we were like, oh, my God, we've not gotten any reports of that. That's horrible. How could that be? They had taken a photo of a rig from some other country <laughs> and, and put it forth as a picture of one of, you know, my member company's rigs which was a blatant lie. There was not a single well pad that was even, you know, compromised, let alone, you know, an underwater, you know, entirely, um, uh, you know, flooded well pad. And those are the kind of things that, you know, just shouldn't be able to be in the public domain without any checking. And that's not, you know, to defend big oil. I think that's just so people understand where their energy comes from and it's being done safely. They deserve that. Yeah, unfortunately, stories like the one you just told aren't too uncommon with the environmental groups. But just yeah. uh, bringing the conversation back to the AG report, I don't want to take up too, too much of your time today, but uh, is there anything that we haven't covered in terms of that report or the industry that you think is important for our listeners here today? So the attorney general's report, you know, talked, uh, as other entities have, about, you know, the Department of Health and kind of the, the health um, registry. And, of course, the vast majority of witnesses were there to talk about um, maladies that, you know, that they um, are, are connecting to the industry's operation. Um, you know, and I'm certain some of those people that have complained, you know, of that wide range of maladies actually have those maladies. But, you know, the, the challenge we have here is from day one, um, you know, in my experience uh, with the industry, we've looked very proactively at those issues. 
And the, the, the data on monitoring of employees at well sites, which is very important to the, you know, to the employers, of monitoring that's done um, both qualitatively and quantitatively, um, there, there simply is not the kind of exposure pathways that would result in the, the kind of complaints that are being brought about. Again, I'm certain that most of those people have complained of things that they actually have or that they're concerned about. But proving that negative is a very tall order, and it only gets more difficult with, you know, reports like what the grand jury, you know, put out. So health continues to be, you know, very, very important. But, you know, I think if we start getting into, you know, even more of a scenario where citizen science is accepted as quality-controlled um, information, that's not only going to be a problem for the oil and gas industry, but I think it's going to be a problem for anybody trying to build or operate anything in this country. So health couldn't be more important. Pathways to those maladies, you know, are uh, have yet to be really shown to exist. Uh, you know, maybe one one illustration of that is uh, I've done some work over in the UK with the oil and gas industry there. And, you know, there was this discussion about, well, what about, you know, all these, you know, uh, all these ailments that are being reported? And a very keen observer uh, of our legal system said, listen, to his you know, fellow Brits, you guys know how um, litigious those Americans are. If these were really such horrible issues, the industry would be out of business. There would be so much, you know, legal wrangling um, if these were truly pathways that, that existed from the industry's operation to, you know, the communities. And, you know, I think that's just one other way of, of looking at this. But, you know, bringing it back personally, uh, I've been on, you know, hundreds of sites along, you know, many miles of pipelines. And it's just a safe operation. Um, you know, I, I can't say it more clearly. Are there accidents? Yes. But, you know, this is a, an operation that's built around how does it fit into the environment. And, you know, that's what a lot of people spend their waking hours designing and building the right way with a plethora of reports and, you know, proof points and inspections to show that that's being done. I mean, that's how we've gotten to, what, around 12,000 unconventional wells in Pennsylvania and many more thousands in you know Ohio and, and West Virginia on top of that. Yeah, so, so these things have not, you know, if they were as bad as the report has said they would be, we would not be doing this operation anymore. But it's just simply, you know, not the case. Yeah, I think that's an excellent place and excellent note to end on. So with that, uh, my guest today has been Catherine Claver. Catherine, thank you for your time today. Uh, thanks so much, Alex.